How are we today? Let's pray before we start. God, we just want to pray today. Um, We pray that you can just come into this place and really be in this presence. God, we pray that you can use me as a vessel to really deliver your word. That in this time when we're talking about Genesis 15, Lord, we can really understand the heart behind what is written here. And that we'll be able to take away something from it. So we pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Awesome. So, hello, everyone. Um, for everyone here and everyone at home, um, for those of you who aren't keeping track, this is my first time preaching here at English Service. Um, so I thought before I started, you know, sharing about how cool Genesis 15 is. Is the slide up? Oh, no. There we go. Uh, before I start talking about how amazing this uh, little chapter is, I thought I'd introduce myself a little bit so you guys can have a bit of a context about who I am as a preacher. So if you know me well enough, you'll know that I'm not the most well-spoken person. Um, Some people might even describe my my vocabulary as being made up of memes, um, of TikTok slang, for those of you who will. Um, So I'm not all too down with this whole speaking formally concept. And I'm sure the pastoral team can definitely attest to that. Um, In a lot of our pastoral meetings when we're doing devotions, uh, I'd often get turned down because of all my rough drafts when it comes to my Bible concepts. So Edwin would often say something like that. I am not putting that in my notes. I mean, which, you know, completely fair. Um, But also something else is that I really do not like speaking in front of people, in front of big groups of people. I have horrible stage fright. So even um, thinking about coming up here today and speaking to a group like this, it really shivers my timbers. Anyways, hearing all that might uh, beg you to ask the question, okay, then what is this nervous person who seems to speak through memes, talking in front of a group like this and sharing the Word of God? And honestly, a lot of times I ask myself the same thing. Thoughts like, why am I in this position? How did I end up here? Am I way over my head? These thoughts fill my mind. But then I look back to the reason as to why it is I stepped into this position. I look back and I remember the promise that God made to me to walk down this path. And through that, I can feel comforted. I know that all is taken care of because God is continually guiding and reassuring me. It feels as if God has promised to take care of me, grow me, and equip me, and give me what I need to get these thoughts out of my mind. So similar to this feeling of uncertainty turned into peace, here in Genesis 15, we see a three-step journey Abram takes, uh, showing a promise believed, a promise rewarded, a promise believed, and a promise guaranteed. If you recall to a few weeks ago when Pastor Phil was talking about Genesis 12, we talked through the promises God made to Abram. Now, these were no small promises. Genesis 12 reads, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the people on the earth, will be blessed through you. 
these promises were a promise of a great number of descendants, widespread land, and blessings to all the earth. And here in Genesis 15, we see these promises developed. So the first part, a promise rewarded. So Genesis 15 takes place after chapter 14, uh, walking us through this long encounter that God and Abram has. This chapter begins with us seeing God's word coming to Abram through a vision, telling him to not be afraid. We see here from the start that Abram is being comforted by God through his promise of a shield and reward. This promise comes in a very timely manner for Abram in that before uh, the events of this chapter, Abram was at war. He was fighting for, uh, to save his nephew Lot. And in this fight, he turned down many earthly rewards from foreign kings. He also made many powerful enemies along the way. God tells Abram to not be afraid of these opposing forces and that he will be Abram's shield, that he will be Abram's protection. As well as this, God is Abram's very great reward. He didn't push Abram through all that he had to go through so that he could deliver more physical possessions to him as a reward. No, he brought Abram through all this so that they could have a relationship together. However, even after all of that, Abram still didn't quite understand the significance of this reward that he's been given. So during this time of God's visit, he uses this moment to voice his worries and concerns and his uncertainties towards this promise that God has made him from before. Abram points out that the person who will inherit his estate, his, all that he has, is a servant, Eliezer of Damascus, and not a son of his own flesh and blood. So just a bit of context, it has been 12 years since the events of Genesis 12. So Abram's faith in God and his promise was wearing thin. So in his childless state, Abram had chosen a slave that was born in his household to be the person who would inherit everything that he has. This was a pretty common occurrence in the ancient world. So here Abram chooses to respond to God's comfort by asking, what good are rewards if my lineage was to die out? Where will the nations that you promised me come from if I don't have a son of my own? He is old and he has no child, so he was full of worry about these promises coming to fruition. So responding to these outcries of compassion, God reiterates his promise of a great nation, but now he does it with even more detail. He proclaims that Eliezer will not be the one who will inherit Abram's estate, and that the heir of Abram will not only be one through legal means, but he'll be a child of Abram's own flesh and blood. God listens and responds to Abram's worries as he takes, him, as he takes Abram outside, showing him and asking him to count, nope, there we go, asking him to count the stars in the night sky. God uses this, pa- this painting of, this picture for Abram, um, repeating his promise to him, that his descendants will be as numerous and as uncountable as the stars that he sees. So in this moment, Abram's uncertainties, which would have been building up for years and years about the future of his descendants, were instantly stripped away by this divine vision. God said that he will have a child, and Abram believed. 
Can you imagine the awe that was in Abram's eyes as he was counting these stars in wonder? To have God remind him that the promise made not only still stood, but was greater than Abram could have imagined. Here, Abram believes again, taking God for his word through genuine and simple faith. So this reaffirmed belief and faith in the promise of a great nation was seen as Abram's righteousness in God's eyes. The righteousness or right, in, right standing with God was credited by God as it was present within Abram himself. We can see several instances throughout the New Testament where both Paul and James reference this verse. We see it in Romans 4.3, Galatians 3.6, and James, 20, 20, uh, James 2.23, to name a few. Um, in Galatians 7-9, it says this, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abram, Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abram. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who rely on faith are, blessings, are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. Paul states here um, what is being asked of Abram is exactly what New Covenant believers are asked of as well. Abram's attitude here in his response to God's promise of a great nation is the cornerstone of Christian teaching. Here is salvation by faith. It highlights God's acceptance of us, comes by not just his grace, but also our faith, our righteous belief in him. So, God, so before uh, moving on, uh, I want to ask you guys a little question. Who here has ever made a promise with anyone? You can feel free to put your hand up if you've made a promise. It should be everyone because, you know, you're people. Um, yeah, um, keep your hands raised if you've ever broken a promise or have had a promise broken on you. There's a few hands. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm sure a lot of us here today have uh, had times when we've been burnt by people we've put our trust in that we've made a promise with. So when we make a deal with someone or an agreement with someone, we're putting ourselves on the line. We're putting ourselves at risk. So the more it is that we're risking, the more it is that we want that reassurance that we can trust the other party. Now, I want you to imagine that you're making a reservation for, a re for dinner at a very fancy restaurant. Now, this restaurant has no clue who you are. So they put in things such as cancellation fees so that they can assure that you turn up, that you arrive, that they don't waste a table that they could have used for other customers. They do this because they don't know you well. Or maybe something more relatable to you um, you wouldn't trust a personal secret with someone you just met. You wouldn't trust them enough to share something really deep and personal with them. Rather, you'd choose a close friend who you trust to not share your secrets around. When we enter into a promise contract with someone, we either put our trust in the other party because we know them well, or we set up safeties for ourselves so we don't get the short end of the stick. Abram here had given up everything he had to follow God. But he still hadn't seen results after these 12 years. So we can understand and we can empathize as to why it is that Abraham would have been so worried about this promise that God had made to him. So moving on from verse 6, we see um, even though 
Abram now believes in God and the promise of a soon-to-be great nation. In verse 7, we see for the first time that Abram is being made aware of the land that he is currently living on as a foreigner is actually what God is promising him for his future inheritance. So as a man who gave up everything he had to follow God, Abram is actually now being promised much more land than he actually thought he was going to be promised. Much like how Abram brought, sorry, much like how God brought Abram out and moved him to fulfill his promise, his purpose, God has brought you out of your old self and he will be fulfilling a purpose that he has set within you. We see, we see here in verse 8 that Abram continues this trend of unbelief. Silly duffer. He asks, how is it possible that he's going to end up possessing this large amount of land? Here, while Abram does believe that this nation will one day be his for his people to rule over, his concern has led him to look for a sign of assurance from God. So you might be thinking to yourself, this guy has seen God work over and over again. He has seen God's promises come true over and over again. He's been reassured by God constantly. How is he still here asking for God to show him more fact, more uh, proof that the promises are there for him? But let's be honest with ourselves. How often is it that we forget God's promise to us? Abram understands more than anyone how hard it is to wait a long time for his prom- for promises to see their ends. And I'm sure a lot of us here today need constant reminders of God's promise. So who are we to judge in this moment? So once again, instead of rejecting his question, God moves to reassure his servant. God gives Abram a sign. He goes through the cutting covenant here. He goes through the cutting covenant here. The passage here acts to clarify, but also more importantly, it acts to guarantee God's promise of this land. God moves to double down and assure that this promise in a way that means a lot to Abram. So he instructs Abram to gather five specific animals, a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon, and to cut some in half and to arrange them in a specific way. So for those of you who aren't too much of a fan of blood, I'd look away now, even though it's just illustrated blood. So this is what the covenant, the cutting covenant would have looked like. You'd see a bunch of animals that were split in two. They were put side by side, and there would be a trail of blood in the middle. So this illustration shows how they would have been set up. So similar to the covenant made in Noah in Genesis 8.20, the covenant here is introduced by this sacrificial uh, ritual. Um, in Jeremiah 34, 18, it explains it well. It says, For those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between, the pe- between its pieces. This explains the assurance and commitment of this ritual. It's important to note that the covenant ritual would be completed when both parties walk through the cut open animals. So this kind of symbolizes the agreement between the two, that if the promise was to be broken, if they somehow fail to fulfill the agreed-upon terms, they will be treated like these animals, that their blood will be spilt as payment. So a modern-day equivalent of this would be if two parties were to sign a legally binding document that listed um, the costs and repercussions of breaking the contract. So that was the same sort of sense from back in the day. 
So before the ritual was completed with Abram and God, um, through, uh, by walking through the split animals, Abram falls into this deep sleep. Now, this wasn't a nice, restful nap sort of deep sleep. It was kind of like the kind of deep sleep where you're sweating and you're rolling around, you just can't really get rest. So this was a deep sleep that was filled with thick and dreadful darkness. In this sleep, God shows Abram a prophecy revealing the future of his nation. God shows Abram how his people will be mistreated as outsiders, how they'll be forced to live as slaves for 400 years. But when the time arrives, his people will be set free with an abundance of possessions. And punishment will be brought by God to the people who had enslaved and mistreated his people. God tells Abram of the life he will live as well. That Abram will live a good long life um, and he will never live to see the events of this prophecy happen. So later, after the sun had set, God lowers himself into Abram's humanity so that he can guarantee this promise of land to Abram comes true. He does so through the covenant, through the cutting covenant, something that Abram can comprehend and understand the incredible commitment God has in him. In verses 17 to 18, we see a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass through the pieces of the animals. God completes this ritual by himself here. He signs his name on the dotted line for both Abram and himself. It's so important to realize that he walks through these split animals alone. This indicates the unilateral nature of this covenant, of this promise. In this moment, we see God's humility filling up our inability. God knows the state of humans. He knows that if Abram were to walk through the animals, the covenant would end up being broken and that man would just have to suffer. God would have had to been the one to walk through these animals alone for any sort of commitment to be fulfilled. I want everyone right now to check under your seats. Um, So other than gum what you'd find is nothing. That is exactly the price that Abram was to pay if he broke the covenant. And there's a good one here. (laughs) God alone puts his blood on the line to seal this promise. God decided that he would be the one to pay if the covenant was broken. He makes it a one-way commitment of his love that this is God's grace at work, asking for nothing in return. So after the completion of this covenant, God goes on to describe the borders of the promised land, identifying the peoples that Abram's nations will receive the land from. We see here in Genesis 15 that Abram is constantly struggling to believe God's promise. Yet instead of abandoning him, time and time again, God is continually giving Abram confirmation in a way that that Abram can comprehend. He does so through means that matter to Abram, that have weight to Abram. God does so to calm Abram's shaken faith. God is so patient with Abram through all of this and all of his downfalls. We need to remember that God isn't here automatically just giving out unending guarantees of blessings to those who reject him. The covenant relationship here is also a mutual commitment of his love and our devotion to him. So just as God takes on the weight of the covenant alone, so does Jesus keep his promise to us. 
even though we're riddled with faults, uh, we consistently make bad and sinful choices, Jesus still continues to do everything in his power to save us from the consequences of our own actions. He brings us to himself through his grace. We're called to do what Abram did in this situation. That is to receive the promises of God with faith. Hebrews 6.12 reads, and I lost my spot. Hebrews 6.12 reads, uh, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So here we're called to be men and women of faith who through our faith and through our patience can inherit this promise that God has given to us. Jesus' crucifixion acts as an intensified version of what we see here in Genesis 15. The cross becomes a symbol to remind us that even though we are the ones who have failed in maintaining the covenant, God is still the one who takes the punishment in our stead. So for God who loved the world and gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 is a verse that I'm sure a lot of us know very well. The promise here is that those who believe in Jesus will not only just not perish, but they'll have eternal life with him. Because this is no longer a punishment. This is no longer a punishment for us who believe in Jesus. Rather, we have the promise of salvation through faith as a reward. We become children of the promise when we lean into and start trusting this promise. By simply having faith in Jesus as Abram did with God, we get to freely receive the benefits of this promise that God has given. Uh, so to wrap up, I uh, just wanted to share some of the lyrics from one of the worship songs we had um, at Resonate this Friday. It's a song called Promise by Maverick City. I'm sure a few of you might know this one, but the lyrics go, God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and of faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you'll do just, you'll do just what you said. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn, when you speak a word, it'll come to pass. Let's pray. God, we just ask that in the moments when we fail, Lord, we remember how forgiving, how patient you are with us. That we can return into your hands and really remind ourselves that you know you have given up so much for us that you put your own blood on the line when you knew that we would fail you were a giving God and that we do not deserve what it is that you're constantly giving to us yet you still freely give it for us you give us freedom and you give us this life to live so may we step out of this church today Lord renewed in this promise with you reassured that you are here comforting us and that we'll use this, just this refreshed reminder of you wisely, God. So God, remind us, remind us of your promise constantly. And let us be people who can reflect this through faith. So in Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. And everyone said?